0: ...for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Wednesday, July 7th, 2010. This is one of those times when I was uh, doing my research and... ...was falling out of my chair. I was like, what? It's hard for that to happen to me, but it happens from time to time. Because just when you think things can't possibly get worse... They do. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which is to help you to think biblically, to help you to think critically, and to compare what people are saying in the name of God to the word of God. No shortage of bizarre things being said out there. On both the right and the left, you know we are an equal opportunity to discernment ministry in that sense we 're practicing diversity if you, if you would oh man <laughs> uh, I know somebody's going to get mad at me for using that term in that way, but <clears throat> my my suggestion to you right now, as you feel like you 're about ready to spontaneously combust, is to just get over it just just trust me. Um, I have no problem hijacking politically charged words and using them correctly. I know that was another step. Sorry. Um, Anyway, uh, today's edition of Fighting for the Faith, looking at the uh, program docket, good night. Um, You know, I didn't see this prior to the 4th of July, but... Sometimes in churches, there's this bizarre mixing of things that ought not to be mixed. And, uh, you know, when it comes to America's uh, major holiday, celebrating the birth of the nation, if you would, uh, sometimes churches just go the wrong direction. And uh, there's a a church in Tennessee by the name of Cornerstone Church, and uh, they just—oh, man— They just finished up their No More Bull 4th of July Church Extravaganza, and we're going to be listening to audio from uh, two videos uh, that plug this particular event, and if you want to see the videos, you can i that this currently is the latest uh, exhibit, the newest exhibit to make it into the Museum of idolatry, which I happen to be the curator of. I am the curator of the Museum of idolatry, that is a website that I run, and you can find the museum of of idolatry at a little dot com and again that 's a little dot com and uh, we 've got probably the world 's largest collection of artifacts of apostasy. And, uh, you know, I in fact, I have not yet seen anybody with a greater collection of artifacts of apostasy than what I have going there at the Museum of Idolatry. So uh, currently it's, the, um, it's at the top of the list in our exhibits because it's the latest one. And it's the No More Bull 4th of July Church Extravaganza. <laughs> if you follow me on Twitter and Facebook, then you may have already seen the link to that exhibit come over the wire. So... That was in preparation for today's program. And so we're going to take a listen to that. <clears throat> we've got more. I mean, By the way, the um, the gentleman by the name of William Tapley, who is um, he, he's a member of the Roman Catholic Church, and we've heard him before. He calls himself the third eagle of the apocalypse. We'll be listening in from one of his latest uh, prophecies and prophetic utterances on YouTube. And I uh, can't wait to hear that. And then, <sighs> bizarre... Uh, Rick Warren has apparently written the foreword to a brand new book about discovering your divine destiny by a woman by the name of Dr. Laverne Adams. And oh, aye, aye, aye. Uh, my friend uh, Ken Silva uh, emailed me the link to this. And, and he says, You got to see this. You got to see this. So, yeah, I went, Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll get to it. <laughs> I was like, What? What, why would Rick Warren be promoting a a book by this woman? I, whoa, it's crazy stuff. Anyway, we'll be taking a look at that and see what that's all about. And then as promised, we're going to be getting to Rob Bell's Beatitudes and taking a look at that in light of what the Bible, really what the Beatitudes are there in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. And then if we have time today... I'm going to answer the question, what is the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of God? We hear this term being kicked around all the time. And I I have found a good article on this topic. And of all places, I found it in the, uh, uh, the, um, uh, the Lutheran Study Bible, not the one put out by the ELCA, but by Concordia Publishing House. And there's a great article in there about what is the kingdom of God. I thought I would share some of the... Uh, nuggets some of the insights there on what is the kingdom of god and uh, share that with you today and then uh for our sermon review now last week we listened to a sermon that was preached at C3 exchange there in uh, spring something michigan uh spring creek i think it is and uh it was by a guy by the name of Michael Dowd however we didn't get to hear didn't get the privilege of hearing a an actual sermon by Ian Lawton of C3 exchange this is the, the once church that's now a um, well, pretty much a Unitarian Universalist uh, community of of inclusiveness, and uh, and so the name of this uh, <clears throat> lecture during the, what would normally be the sermon time at a church uh, is called "The Evolution of God." Yeah, the evolution of God from Ian Lawton at uh, C Three Exchange. I, I we didn't get the chance to hear an Ian Lawton sermon, so I thought, you know what, I'll I'll go ahead and review one of those, but trust me when I tell you, Ian Lawton, well, he's now going to be in our regular rotation because I I am absolutely 100% convinced that this is where the seeker-driven church is going. This is where uh, the emergent church is heading. It's turning, you know, Back in the 1990s, back in the middle of the 1990s, we were talking about, and we, and there were books being written that were talking about the death of the mainline denominations. And the mainline denominations went uber-liberal, but where did they jump the tracks? You know, at one point we had we had congregations that were proclaiming repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. They were places where you can hear the gospel, you can hear God's word correctly preached and taught, And, uh, and sound biblical doctrine was the name of the game. And, you know, 80 years later, um, you know, 70, 80 years later, the, those exact church buildings were no longer places where you can hear the gospel. They were places where you were basically hearing liberal, liberal apostasy. How did that happen? The answer to that question is, is that, uh, many in the mainline denominations decided to mix Christianity with the culture, and to let the culture call the shots and they were culturally relevant they were all about keeping up with the culture and being relevant with the culture and what ended up happening is is they got swallowed up by the culture, and as a result of it they were they were just pathetic shadows of what they formerly had been i mean it you know if you 've ever been to some of these large uh churches, you know, from the early uh, 20th century, late 19th century uh in the United States and other places in, in uh, the Western nations, which were, you know, these huge congregations that you can, you know, pews could see, you know, 800, 1,000 people. And, you know, and nowadays you got showing up at these churches, uh, you know, 20, 30, uh, people, old gray hairs, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I have gray hair, but, you know, basically, you know, people who s- gutted it out for one reason or another, because that's the church they grew up in. Uh, but, uh, you know, the, the gospel left the building decades ago. And, uh, so back in the 1990s, we were talking about the death of the mainline denominations and liberalism as, as we've, as it's run its course. Well, uh apparently we didn't learn the um the lessons that history had to teach us uh and as a result of it we're you know the the churches today are making the exact same mistake the exact same mistake that led to the death of the mainline denominations is you know, that exact same mistake is being repeated in uh in uh, greater American evangelicalism with the churches that have bought into the methodologies and ideas of Rick Warren, Bill Hybels, Bob Buford, the three Druckerites, the, uh, the, that's the Druckerite trinity, and their seeker-driven, seeker-sensitive methodology. What it does is it puts the culture in the driver's seat in the church, and what ends up happening is, is that they don't think critically about what's going on in the culture and how to preach to it prophetically. Instead, what happens is is they let the culture dictate let the culture have the have the basically the keys to the church car and uh, and put them in the driver's seat and wouldn't you know it the culture doesn't really is not really interested in and never has and never will be interested in sound biblical doctrine Christ and him crucified for our sins and correctly learning and really sitting at the feet of Jesus and correctly understanding what God's word teaches in its full context and uh, in its full council and as a result of it these churches are making the exact same mistake that the mainline churches made in the early 1920s and what's their future look like well ian lawton is the logical consequence of these secret driven churches they are these secret driven churches are basically r- creating the brand new hotbed of liberalism that's what they're doing and Ian Lawton, he just arrived at the logical conclusion earlier than most. But this is the continuum that these seeker-driven churches are on because they don't value sound biblical doctrine. They basically are legalists, uh, pietists anyway. Uh, they they besmirch and, and put down God's word. And if they don't do that publicly, they do, it, they do it tacitly by refusing to preach it correctly and by really refusing to preach it and teach it at all. And so, I mean, there's more than one way to impugn God's word. You can either do it publicly and openly, or you can do it quietly by just just quietly putting it away and putting it off to the side. And uh, there you go. So we're going to be reviewing an Ian Lawton sermon called the evolution of God. And you're thinking this guy's a complete liberal Unitarian whack job. Yeah, he is. And this is the future of the seeker driven churches. This is their future. And, uh, I would defy any of you to prove <laughs> to say I'm wrong on this point. History has shown us this is exactly what's going to take place. All right, so with that, we're going to uh, dive into the program proper. Now, I do not do not have uh, introductory music for this particular segment, so you'll have to bear with me as I'll just have to dive into it. Um, well, just just jump right into it. Um, here, the, the, uh, the name of the church is Cornerstone. And they're in Nashville, Tennessee. And uh, this is the uh, audio from a video that they put out for this past 4th of July. And the name of it is No More Bull. Here's their 32nd commercial spot that they put up on Vimeo. Here we go. This summer, celebrate 4th of July with Nashville's most dynamic church. Be a part of an experience that will be true. Be a part of an experience. Here we go again. What is this big chasing after of experiences?
1: Truly unforgettable. Experience the excitement of a live rodeo, indoor fireworks, and much, much more. All
0: inside the sanctuary of... Uh, where where is this again all inside the sanctuary a live rodeo. you can experience a live rodeo inside the church sanctuary now listen I, i just want to make something clear here i'm not against experiences per se or out of hand i mean one of our advertisers here at Pirate Christian Radio is Cloud9 Living, and they sell experience gifts. You can go hot air ballooning. You can get a massage. You can have a dinner cruise. You can uh, – yeah, all of that stuff. I Listen, I, I'm all for experiences in that sense, but I don't go to church to have an experience or to experience the rodeo. I mean – uh, the, the, I mean, at this point, it's stopped being a church, don't you think? Let me back this up just so that you can hear <clears throat> this wonderful plug again. Here we... Experience the excitement of a
1: live rodeo, indoor fireworks, and much, much more all inside the sanctuary of Cornerstone Church.
0: Hmm. How about come to Cornerstone Church and hear the proclamation of the forgiveness of sins Hear God's law rail against your sins and your wretched sinfulness and your dirty, rotten transgressions of God's law and hear the comforting words of the gospel of Jesus Christ and his shed blood for the forgiveness of your sins. Come to Cornerstone Church and hear God's word correctly, soundly preached and proclaimed, sound biblical doctrine, church discipline. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, that's what we, oh, man. Yeah, Leonard Ravenhill, the late uh, Lord Leonard Ravenhill, had this interesting quote. He said, "He said, I think they should tax churches. Most most churches are amusement centers, anyhow, and you have to pay taxes on amusement."
1: Join Pastor Maury Davis as he preaches the Illustrated Sermon. No more bull.
0: Yeah. By the way, um, it, leading up to the uh, No More Bull. Illustrated Sermon Live Rodeo and Indoor Fireworks <laughs> at Cornerstone Church in Nashville. Uh, some of the members of the congregation, one of the members of the congregation put together this video. You have to understand, if you were to see the video, you could see that in the back, there's like a little um, little skid tractor thing moving large pieces of earth around at the on the floor of the church so they can set up for the rodeo. So she's interviewing a rodeo guy. And, uh, yeah, listen. (laughs) Wow, listen to this. Here we go.
2: Hey, we're standing here in Cornerstone Church Sanctuary in Madison, Tennessee, and we're getting ready for the No More Bull Illustrated Sermon for the 4th of July weekend.
0: Yeah, that's a skip loader in the back.
2: Uh, Our shows will be Wednesday night through Friday night. Our
0: what? Our what? Our shows. Our Shows will be Wednesday night. What other days will your show be available?
2: At 7 p.m., Saturday evening at 5 p.m., Sunday morning, 10 a.m.
0: Sunday morning, 10 a.m., you're having a show. At least you're honest.
2: We'll have a full live rodeo, and we'll also have the biggest indoor...
0: Full live rodeo.
2: Pyro show in the state. So, this is Dennis Morris... He's of Raptor M Rodeos, and he is putting on this rodeo. Tell us, Dennis, have you ever done a rodeo inside of a church?
0: Yeah, Dennis, please tell us, when was the last time you did a live rodeo inside a church? Could you give us some of those details of this live rodeo, please?
3: I've been rodeoing now for about 25 years. This is the first time ever that I know of anywhere in the United States that's ever been an indoor, a rodeo inside of a church.
0: And they're saying that as if this is a good thing. Yeah, you know, I think the term no more bull, I think that they should absolutely apply that. No more of this bull and uh, stop doing this in the church. Get back to preaching Christ and him crucified and proclaiming God's word instead of mixing church with rodeo. I agree. No more bull.
2: Yeah, and Dennis, this is a sanctioned rodeo
3: event. So it, this is sanctioned through the International Professional Rodeo Association, and it's about ten thousand dollars in prize money up.
0: There's, t- <laughs> there's ten thousand dollars in prize money up. <sighs> wow, I mean, isn't that great? I mean, these rodeo riders can compete in the House of God and win ten thousand dollars because that's ten thousand dollars in prize money. That's up for the rodeo. Didn't Jesus say something about turning the house of God uh, uh, into a den of thieves? I mean...
3: So there's professional bull riders riding for points toward world championship standings uh, at the finals in Oklahoma City. So it is professional bull riders, world champions, uh, top 50 in the association.
2: Yeah, Dennis, how many riders are we going to have a night? 10 riders a night, 5 nights, 50 riders. Awesome. You do not want to miss this event. It is the biggest event thus far at Cornerstone Church. And you know we always do it upright. Thanks, Dennis.
0: Thank you. I'm sure you do it upright. Too bad it's not done up, you know, with Christ and him crucified and sound biblical doctrine and you know it's a spectacle, I'm sure. I mean, I I, I mean, in case you, 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 if if you just can't decide which night to go, I'm hopefully you were able to go every night so that you could see all 50 riders in this sanctioned radio event, uh, rodeo event that was taking place inside of a church. (sighs) Man, you just can't make this stuff up anymore. What has happened to the church? Everyone is so proud and happy of all their creativity and innovation. They should be hanging their heads in shame because this has nothing to do with going and making disciples of Jesus Christ. In fact, it's a flat out distraction away from it. But they do their rodeo up, right? And, you know, there's $10,000 in prize money up for this rodeo inside the church, and they have the largest indoor pyromaniac uh, event in in the entire state of Tennessee. Well, call up Cousin Ernie. I mean, how exciting is that? Oh, brother. Repent. Church, we don't need rodeos and pyrotechnic shows. We need pastors who will preach Christ and him crucified and do the holy work of proclaiming the gospel, preaching the word in season and out of season, and really teaching and proclaiming the full counsel of the word of God. That's what we need. We don't need rodeos. We don't need pyrotechnic displays. We don't need any of that stuff. All right, moving along. Um the, the uh, William Tapley, the third eagle of the apocalypse and also one of the self-proclaimed sec, you know, one of two final um prophets of the great apostasy or the final days. Uh in his uh latest YouTube uh, rant, um this this one is just crazy. Um here, or listen in.
3: Welcome to Revelation Unraveled. I'm your
0: host, William Tapley. Welcome to Revelation Completely Tangled.
3: Also known as the Third Eagle of the Apocalypse and the Co-Prophet of the End Times. In this program, I want to review some recent events which I believe prophesy the downfall of the Catholic Church and the downfall of the United States of America.
0: Now, I, just, I hate to break it to you, William, the, the, the Catholic Church already fallen, gone. It's been gone a long time.
3: These events range from the BP oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico to the lightning strike against the statue of Touchdown Jesus. First of all, I want to look at the perfect game pitched by Andrea Galarraga by Detroit against the Cleveland Indians.
0: (laughs) Whoa. whoa. (laughs) Hang on there, Tex. (laughs) What? (laughs) Okay, hey, Let me see if I got this straight. You're talking about all this end times apocalyptic stuff, and you want to focus in on the debacled perfect game thing from the clean. What? What does baseball have to do? Oh, man.
3: Now you might say God would not use sporting events to prophesy the future.
0: I Yeah, I just don't understand how you think that that was a prophecy.
3: But all I need to do is remind you about the Triple Crown prophecies of three years ago, which prophesied the defeat of Barack Obama and the United States. Remember Big Brown? He lost to a horse named Deptara in the Belmont Stakes that predicted that terrorism will defeat Barack Obama. (laughs) huh?
0: Oh, okay, I need to pay closer attention to sporting events. Apparently there's hidden messages from God in them. The the triple crown from three years ago apparently was uh, a big prophecy from God. I had no idea.
3: Now getting back to this ball game. Now in this instance, I believe this perfect game depicted the downfall of the Catholic
0: Church. Please fill us in on the details of that. I am all ears. By the false prophet.
3: The perfect game predicted the Catholic Church, because even though the Catholic Church is not perfect, it symbolizes perfection because it is the bride of Christ. In this game, Galraga made 27 batters go out. That's the minimum, except that the umpire made a terrible call on the last play. Jim Joyce called the batter safe at first when he was obviously out this is very interesting because if you look at the replay he was out by a good two feet now why would this happen now jim joyce is named after a very famous irish writer
0: right yes he jim joyce is named after jim joyce oh okay
3: by the name of james joyce who was a notorious anti-catholic he apostatized from his catholic faith I believe he symbolizes the false prophet who will take over the Catholic Church. Notice that Galarraga had to pitch to 28 batters to win this game. 28 is, of course, a number of the end times, along with 4, 7, and 12.
0: Right. Yes, exactly. Number 28. Bad. Yeah. As you,
3: my regular subscribers, well know, It's interesting that James Joyce was noted for his bad eyesight. He had at least seven or eight operations on his eyes. Not really a very good role model for a baseball umpire.
0: No, you don't want an umpire who's had to have seven operations on his eyes. That's as bad as the number 28.
3: He was not only blind spiritually, but physically as well. Now, you might say... Why doesn't God just give an obvious example? Why doesn't he just warn us very clearly?
0: Yeah, I mean, seriously, I mean, if you you don't follow baseball, I mean, you, you wouldn't even be able to hear these messages from God at all. What if you were into, like, European football?
3: Well, he certainly did. For example, the BP oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico. That's a very obvious warning. And by the way, do you know what BP stands for?
0: British Petroleum?
3: BP stands for Bible Prophecy. (laughs) Really? I had no idea. This was a warning, another warning to America. And let's look at the next warning. And that was the flash flood in Arkansas on June 11th. This was a warning of World War III.
0: Uh, what? Um, so the flash flood in Arkansas on June 11th was a warning of World War Three, Right. How was that again? It had all the indications of World War
3: Three as described in Daniel and in the book of Revelation. Number one, it was very sudden. Number two, it was very devastating.
0: Uh, you know, flash floods are usually pretty sudden. That's why they have the word flash in front of the word flood. Just something I wanted to point out that flash floods by nature are sudden. Otherwise, it would just be a flood or it could be a slow flood. But if it's a flash flood, it, you know, happens suddenly.
3: This flash flood uprooted asphalt even. Number three, it came in one hour, very much as described in the book of Revelation. Right. Right. And it was very deadly. These four characteristics show that this was a prophecy of World War III. And by the way, do you know...
0: You know, i got to apologize, folks. Um, if you listen to this program, I mean, I like to think that I'm in tune with things that are spiritual and biblical and things like that. And I just completely missed the connections between the flash floods in Arkansas and the Book of Revelation. I, I just, it was, um, I have to apologize. I must not have been paying attention
3: where this flash flooding occurred. It occurred at the Albert Pike Recreation Area. Albert Pike was another notorious anti-Catholic. He was a Freemason. He wrote extensively about the Masonic Order. In fact, many people believe he also himself prophesied World War III. Another event which prophesied the downfall of the Catholic Church and Christianity in the United States of America was the lightning strike against the touchdown Jesus figure. Yeah, okay. Now, I personally think this was an ugly figure, and that's why
0: God struck it down. So God killed it with lightning because he thought it was ugly. By the way, I was pretty happy when that thing got hit by lightning. I thought it was ugly, too.
3: I mean, you have Jesus halfway submerged into the ground and holding up his hands as if signaling a touchdown. This was very disrespectful in the first place. I think God struck this down because of the irreverent posture and the irreverent nature of this statue. But it also symbolizes the downfall of Christianity, particularly Catholicism and the United States.
0: Um, the congregation that built Touchdown Jesus, they're, they ain't Catholic. So how does the lightning strike against Touchdown Jesus s- symbolize the... Downfall of the Catholic. Yeah, are you all having a hard time following this? I am uh, lost, just completely lost, gone. I. Um, yeah.
3: All of these events: the baseball game, the flood, the BP oil spill, yeah, and the touchdown Jesus. Yes. These are all warnings to America.
0: Yeah. So you've been warned.
3: It should not take someone like me to explain them to
0: you. <laughs> Well, you're the only one out there ex- trying to explain these events in this way.
3: And, in fact, many of my scribers have told me that they believe these are clear warnings. And, in fact, they are. And if you would like more information or a free copy of my book, Revelation Unraveled, simply write to the address you see on your screen.
0: Uh, there you go. That's uh, uh, William Tapley, the third eagle of the apocalypse, Um <laughs> Uh, that's Revelation completely tangled. Um, wow, <laughs> uh, I don't have anything else I can add to that. I'm <laughs> woo. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you could do so. My email address: talkback at faith <laughs> dot com. Talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. You can follow me on Twitter. Pirate Christian my name. There are Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. I need to go find some sporting events to figure out where the spiritual messages are coming from God. But we'll be right back.
1: Unless your righteousness surpasses that of Rick Warren, you cannot be saved. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith.
4: Python's Flying Circus Church!
0: Warning: If you're getting your prophetic updates from the third eagle of the apocalypse, you may want to consider a different source. need to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith is a listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you as well as to the world. You can partner with us by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. And when you get there, you will see two friendly yellow buttons. One says, Donate. The other says, Join Our Crew. And uh, when you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month. Uh, to fighting for the Faith and pirate Christian Radio, and that helps us because with uh, as our subscriber base in the in you know as far as our uh crew members grows, then that stabilizes our financial position so it makes it so that we can pay you know at least meet our uh, minimum budgeted expenses on a monthly basis so that is a great way to support uh, fighting for the Faith and pirate Christian Radio, of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute. Uh, You can do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it along to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Okay, moving along here. um, Yeah, I guess I should play my um, vintage news music because technically this is kind of like a... uh, News stories kinda it's from the PR Newswire. Let, let, let me key this up. From the PRWeb.com website, headline reads New book driven by destiny by Dr. Laverne Adams, forward by Rick Warren, reveals twelve secret keys to transform the future. <laughs> Who is, what? Have these people got these twelve secret keys to transforming the future from the third eagle of the apocalypse? Rick, what is Rick Warren doing writing the foreword to a book like this? <clears throat> Let me. Uh, by the way, uh, Dr. Laverne Adams uh, calls herself the Doctor of Destiny. Uh, Let me read. Uh, What are the keys to identifying goals and achieving success during challenging times? How can one define our destiny and be driven toward it with a passion and conviction? How does one rebound from losing things held dear? With her new book, Driven by Destiny, Dr. Laverne Adams reveals 12 secret keys. Is this Gnosticism? These are secret keys, but she's discovered them. Apparently, you know what... I mean, think about this, just the word, the verbiage here for a second. Dr. Laverne Adams reveals 12 secret keys that inspire readers to overcome feelings of confusion, frustration while navigating their own unique destiny roadmap. I mean,. Does this not sound like the type of information that if you're going if you're going to like discover the 12 secret keys to something? I mean, doesn't this sound like a harrowing journey that you have to go on first? You know, you first have to like battle dragons, uh, you know, fight off zombie demons and and you know and cross over the seven seas and fight uh, sea, sea monsters, and then at the very end you have to go into the special secret cave that you have discovered the the secret entrance to, and then once in there you have to finally battle the, the ultimate manifestation of evil, and then only after you've defeated that ultimate manifestation of evil can you enter the antechamber of the secrets, you know, the secret antechamber, and there pick up the 12 secret keys and and, as you pick them up, you could hear the angels of heaven going Aah! and then you have to journey all the way back and then find find the publisher to bu- publish these twelve uh, the, the twelve secret keys really w- Why is Dr. Rick Warren of Saddleback Church and Purpose driven Fane putting his name on this book with this i mean this is ridiculous. With her new book, Driven by Destiny, Dr. Laverne Adams reveals 12 secret keys that inspire readers to overcome feelings of confusion and frustration while navigating their own unique destiny roadmap. Each power-packed chapter helps to answer the question of why life may not be working with solutions to ensure success while traveling on life's journey. Uh, What are the keys to identifying goals and achieving success during challenging times? How can one define our destiny and be driven toward it with passion and conviction? How does one rebound from losing things held dear? Uh, The book, with its scheduled release for... 10-10 1010 10 of 10 includes a forward by Dr. Rick Warren of the Purpose Driven Church and Purpose Driven Life. With this powerful resource, Dr. Adams engages the reader in an interactive process that enables them to take the first step of an in-depth review of the recurring themes in their life. For those who may have taken a destiny tour detour and feel off track, the book guides the reader toward the reward of the fulfillment of their deepest desires. Really? So apparently God is all about having you fulfill your deepest desires. After reading the book, testimonials uh, testimonials report a renewed sense of hope and direction and vision. With many successful re- uh, successfully recovering from detrimentally life-altering experiences, when suffering the loss of her husband's income, C.S. Uh, read, uh, driven by destiny, felt strongly encouraged to take charge of her finances and successfully start her own business. Now their family is thriving in every area of their lives. Oh, brother! Uh, so anyway, I took the opportunity to, you know, visit Doctor Laverne Adams's website, D- the D- Divine Destiny Doctor dot com. And, th- th- I mean, this is name it and claim it, blab it and grab it kind of stuff that we're hearing here. Um, uh, DrivenByDestinyNow.com is another website, and listen to this. Have you ever taken a destiny detour? If you constantly wrestle with feelings of distraction, frustration, and defeat, these are dangerous signals that you are going in the wrong direction. No matter where life has taken you, now you can be guided toward the location and the exact positioning of your Divine destiny. It's not too late. Your destiny awaits. Destiny, destiny. No escaping this. Way. Anyway, uh, in in this helpful destiny travel guide, your future is presented as a metaphorical journey through divine dimensions that usher in into revelation, realization, and realignment with your purpose in life. This dynamic journey to uh, transformation will get on the right road to fulfill your destiny and cause you to be fully engaged in this dynamic process. This destiny roadmap is your vehicle to a better life to help you to, one, dialogue with the creator about your divine purpose. Two, discern the roadblocks and detours in your destiny. Three, discover the hidden riches and secrets on the inside of you. Let me read that again. Discover the hidden riches and secrets on the inside of you and four develop new disciplines to help you live the life of your dreams. There's no need to wait. Start today and cross the bridge to a dynamic future as you chart a new course. Activate the keys found in this book, and you'll discover the secret to living a driven a life driven by destiny. Oh, brother. If this doesn't prove that Rick Warren has absolutely no doctrinal discernment skills whatsoever, I don't know what does. By the way, if you'd like to hear what Dr. Laverne Adams sounds like, she has her own um, channel on YouTube. And the name of her channel on YouTube is called The Secrets of the Kingdom. Uh, let's listen in as uh, Dr. Laverne Adams does a little bit of preaching at church. Here's here's Dr. Laverne Adams.
4: I did me. I did ask him to select me. Choice and I went along with it.
2: Right. Amen. <laughs> Amen.
4: Amen.
2: But that wasn't without a fight. I said, God, no, wait a minute, hold up. I mean, I'm honored, you know. You know, this is really funny, Reverend Smith. I used to tell God, I'm not a good candidate for a preacher because I don't know the hymns.
0: Yeah, you're not a good candidate for a preacher because you ain't a hymn, you are a her.
2: <laughs> he said i know
0: that's why i want to use you apparently she has conversations with god directly to, you know rick warren has conversations with god too maybe that's why he wrote the forward to her book i mean god no i'm not a good you
2: there's gotta be somebody better than me it's gotta be i mean i'm wrestle with god I, I i don't know how to talk right i got like a moses thing sometimes my words don't come out
4: right god i'm still trying to get
2: my life together he said i know
0: and then god said the reason
2: why i want to use you is because i want to show people how
0: it's done oh okay so god was having a conversation with apparently she was talking to god over at starbucks having a latte maybe god was having a mocha i you know i'm, I'm not sure if god prefers the macchiato or if he likes the uh, the vente uh, mocha i just i'm not sure i haven't had been to starbucks with god yet but he was basically he let her know in this conversation that he chose her so that she can demonstrate to the world how it's done Thank you, uh, Dr. Adams. That's about all we need to hear from you. And again, I ask the question, why is Rick Warren, why did he write the forward to this woman's book? She's a quack. She ain't preaching sound bib. Oh, that's the reason why. Probably because she is a heretic. Oh, okay. All right. So there you have it. That's the answer to the question. All right. Moving along here. Um, let's see here. Let me close that. Now, this is this is not an up-to-the-minute revelation, but back in October of last year, Rob Bell was fairly new to the whole tweeting thing, and uh, I don't particularly care to use that word myself. I, I find that uh, using the word tweet when it comes to Twitter just challenges the, my entire masculinity. But uh, Rob Bell, um, you know, he kind of put his toe into the water and decided that he would uh, tweet out. Some brand new beatitudes in 140 characters or less. Now, keep in mind, Rob Bell uh, did make it clear that it's impossible to tweet the gospel in 140 characters or less, and uh, that was, that was something we've covered here at Fighting for the Faith. He, you know, in a Christianity Today interview, he declared that it just wasn't possible to tweet the gospel. Yet you can tweet, you know, First Corinthians chapter 15, pretty easy. You know, Christ crucified for our sins, raised again on the third day for our justification. Da-da! Less than 140 characters. Not even hard to do at all. Uh, but he was able uh, to uh, tweet out, well, his brand new version of the Beatitudes, which does kind of give me the opportunity to talk about the Beatitudes and what they really are. And um, and I'll be using a fine book to do that. Um, let me – here are Rob Bell's <clears throat> Beatitudes. Are you ready? Blessed are those who don't have it all together. Blessed are those who have run out of strength, ideas, willpower, and resolve and energy. I do that on a daily basis. Apparently I'm blessed. Blessed are those uh, who ache because of how severely out of whack the world is. Mm -hmm, Yeah, deep, deep, deep. Blessed are those who stumble, trip, and fall in the same place again and again. Oh, yeah, uh huh Blessed are those who on a regular basis have a dark day in which despair seems to be a step behind them wherever they go. Huh? Blessed are you, for God is with you. God is on your side. God meets you in that place. What place is that place? Uh, and this is what he says. The gospel is counterintuitive, joyous, exuberant news that Jesus has brought the unending, limitless, stunning love of God to even us. I thought the gospel was Christ's was crucified for our sins and was raised again on the third day for our justification. But what do I know? I mean, that's just a biblical way of saying it. I mean, I'm just not clever and innovative like Rob Bell so that, you know, I don't feel the need to rewrite the Beatitudes. I, in fact, rather than rewriting the Beatitudes, I think it's actually kind of incumbent upon Christians who are disciples of Jesus Christ to not come up with their own Beatitudes, but instead, to learn the Beatitudes that our Lord taught and to understand them in the way in which Christ intended them to be understood, to be students of Jesus and not clever innovators when it comes to uh, the Bible and you know, write our own stuff. So with that in mind, let me read to you, again, the, the Beatitudes from the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus, preaching, said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, that's Jesus' beatitudes, and quite frankly, I don't think we can improve upon those. And uh, I would be hesitant to even attempt to improve on those. Now, this kind of leads to the question of, how do we rightly understand the beatitudes? What's the proper way in really taking a look at what Jesus was saying? There was Jesus saying that you're blessed if you're poor, that somehow poverty has is a blessing. No, that's not what Jesus was saying at all. And there's a fine book out there, and I can I cannot recommend it unqualifiedly, in an unqualified fashion, I have to recommend it with a qualification. The name of the book is called Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes. That's the name of the book. And it's a really, really good book. And at the same time, by the way, Kenneth Bailey is uh, the gentleman who wrote it. There's some things that Ken says that requires you to think discerningly. There's some things in here I strongly disagree with. That being the case... Uh, Dr. Bailey uh, was was a fine student of God's word, and he has some very unique insights in the sense that he spent some time in the Middle East and uh, and really understood the Middle Eastern culture. And so when he attacks the subject of the Beatitudes, he is approaching it from somebody who understands the Middle Eastern culture a little bit better than you and I do, and that culture does have some unique features to it that help us to better understand God's Word. But again, you have to understand God's Word in context. You have to understand it historically in the culture that it came in, as well as the grammar, and this is where the, major, the rubber hits the road, grammar, words, syntax, and meaning. All of that stuff is, is critical. But with that in mind, let me read what uh, Ken Bailey wrote on this. He says, In the Beatitudes, the reader is presented with brief statements phrased in simple words that carry profound meanings. Rob Bell's statements were far from profound. Jesus really, truly has some profound stuff here. He says the goal of this chapter is to uncover some of those meanings. Now, Matthew's gospel contains a collection of the sayings of Jesus called the Sermon on the Mount. A similar but shorter collection appears in the gospel according to Luke named the Sermon on the Plain. A careful comparison between the two collections is beyond the scope of this chapter, but in passing, by the way, this is the chapter on this, we can note that the two groups of sayings exhibit one primary difference. Luke records four positive Beatitudes that are balanced with matching negatives. Matthew presents a list of nine Beatitudes but records no balancing negatives. He includes the same four that appear in Luke and gives his reader five others that are not found in Luke. Now, each of the nine couplets opens with a person to whom Jesus gives the title, Blessed. And in each case, the matching condition follows in the second line. Okay, It is striking to note that in both Matthew and Luke, the couplet that focuses on persecution contains extra material in the center. This additional material in both texts begins with negatives, which are then balanced by positives. In both passages, a Christological affirmation appears in the center of the sandwich. One difference is that in Luke, there are seven words and phrases in the center, while in Matthew, the entire beatitude forms a sandwich of seven phrases. These sandwiches give this topic of persecution a singular and significant emphasis before turning to reflect on the first beatitude. The key word blessed needs clarification. Okay, Blessed, the two words into one. In Hebrew, as in Greek, there are two words that are translated into English as blessed. The two Greek words parallel the Hebrew words, and it is important to understand the difference between them. One of these Greek words, eulogio, has the Hebrew word barakah behind it, and the Old Testament eulogio does not appear in the Beatitudes. This word is used in prayer, when the worship leader asks God for some blessing that the individual or community is eager to receive from God. Eulogio is the right word for, O Lord, bless the sick, or O Lord, bless the children. The other word in Hebrew is asir, and makarios in Greek are are word clusters which with with, <clears throat> with their cognates are being described by Raymond Brown as not part of a wish and not... And to not invoke a blessing, rather they recognize an existing state of happiness or good fortune. So in here we, in the Beatitudes, okay, the Greek word is "makarios," and that Greek word carries with it not that if you do something you're going to be blessed, but they it, the blessing already exists. So the Greek when we say blessed, Jesus is saying that those people are already blessed, not that they will be blessed if they do something. Let me continue. That is they affirm a quality of spiritual uh, of spiritual uh, spirituality that is already present in english we communicate this sense of the word with a hyphen or an accent when saying miss so and so is a blessed person in our church one is not asking for something but rather affirming a quality in miss so and so that already exists In the Beatitudes, the term for blessed is makarios, the second of these two words. The presence of makarios in the Beatitudes makes a great difference. The third Beatitude should not be understood to mean if you are meek, then you will inherit the earth. As a group, the Beatitudes do not mean blessed are the people who do X because they will receive Y. The point is not exhortation for a certain type of behavior. Instead, they should be read with the sense that look at the authentic spirituality and joy of these people who have or will be given X. Put in concrete terms, we could say, Blessed is the happy daughter of Mr. Jones because she will inherit the Joneses' farm. The woman in question is already the happy daughter of Mr. Jones. She is not working to earn the farm. Everyone knows that a key element in her happy and secure life is that she and the community around her know that the farm will one day be hers. The first statement affirms a happy state that already exists. The second statement affirms a future that allows her even now to live a happy life. Hauk writes, quote, The special feature of Makarios in the New Testament is that it refers overwhelmingly to the distinctive religious joy which accrues to man from his share in the salvation of the kingdom of God. With this definition clearly in mind, we turn to the Beatitudes themselves. The first Beatitude says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does Jesus mean by the poor in spirit? Luke merely says, blessed are the poor. Now, a debate over these two phrases has continued in Western Christianity for some years. One side of the debate insists that the authentic voice of of Jesus is found in the statement in Luke. The poor are blessed by God. Matthew, we are told, spiritualized this simple and powerful statement. A second way to understand the difference between the two phrases is to see Jesus as part of the prophetic tradition, and that for him, like Isaiah, the poor are the humble and the pious who seek God. Matthew's phrase serves to bring out the original meaning already present in Luke. Isaiah 66, verse 2, from which Jesus borrows this language, reads, But this is the man to whom I will look, that he that is poor and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. If the reader is already influenced by this text in Isaiah and others like it from Isaiah, and the Psalms, then he or she does not need the additional phrase, in spirit. If that background in Isaiah is not known, then the phrase, poor in spirit, is critical for comprehension. On rare occasions, the word poor in Isaiah does refer to people who do not have enough to eat, but in the majority of cases, it describes the humble and the pious who know that they need God's grace and tremble at his word. Jesus goes on to affirm that these blessed ones make up the membership of the kingdom of heaven, which is already theirs. But what precisely is the kingdom of God? There is no simple answer to this question. Everything Jesus said and did is in some way related to the kingdom of God. It has to do with the rule of God in the lives of individuals and society, The Lord's Prayer includes the words, Thy kingdom come, which obviously looks to a future that is unfolding. Yet the kingdom has already come in Jesus Christ who said, But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. We live in the interim between the inauguration of the rule of God and the coming of Jesus Christ and its completion at the end of history. Our struggle for peace and justice is part of our discipleship as we work for and await the coming of that kingdom on earth as a gift of God. In this beatitude, Jesus declares that the poor in spirit already possess the kingdom. Many people at the time of Jesus used the phrase kingdom of God to describe a Jewish state where God alone was king. In contrast, Jesus declared that the kingdom of God was already present in the poor in spirit, not among the zealots. The old Syriac translation of this text reads, Happy it is for the poor in spirit that theirs is the kingdom of heaven. As mentioned, the second line is not a reward for the first line, rather the poor in spirit already possess the kingdom. Now there's more to this, and if you want to... uh, Read it, I recommend that you pick up a copy of Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes by Ken Bailey. He's, this, his, uh, his insights into the uh, Beatitudes are profound. Now, with this in mind, when you, read, uh, when you go back and you read the, uh, the Beatitudes that Jesus said, Blessed, makarios, are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Okay, Let me go back and read these all again. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who are humble and know that they need a gracious and merciful God. Those who the law has brought them to nothing. They have nothing to offer God. And like the tax collector in the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, can only look to God and say, have mercy on me, a sinner. Those are the ones who are poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They already have it. Blessed are those who mourn. They shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. See, these are people who already have these things. So how do you you possess, how do you come to the point of being poor in spirit, mourning, being meek, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, being merciful, pure in heart? All of these things are granted to Christians by grace through faith in Jesus Christ those who have been broken of their self-righteousness and their arrogance through the preaching of the law and have been comforted through the promises of the gospel of of the forgiveness of sins won by Christ on the cross, those are the ones who are poor in spirit, those are the ones who mourn, who are meek, and hunger and thirst for righteousness, are merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers, and persecuted. And those who are all of these things, because it's been granted to them as a gift from God, happy are they because they already possess the kingdom. They will be comforted. They will inherit the earth. They will be satisfied. They will receive mercy. These are great promises. And Rob Bell's lame attempt at rewriting them doesn't even compare to what really lies in the Beatitudes that Jesus spoke in the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, we are up on our second break. If you would like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. Sermon review time when we get back. Ian Lawton, C3 Exchange, Michigan. Don't want to miss it. It's called The Evolution of God.
1: We don't need to rethink Christianity. We need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This
4: is the air I breathe.
0: Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap.
1: Hello, this is Reverend Matt Slick, president and founder of the Christian Apologetics and Research Ministry. I wanted to let you know about our online schools of theology, apologetics, and critical thinking. Each school has been developed out of my more than 30 years of experience as a teacher, author, and defender of the Christian faith. With these schools, you can learn what you need to know about the Christian faith, how to defend it, And how to promote the gospel. The three schools are very easy to use, and you can go through them at your own pace. They're designed with short, succinct lessons that include topics such as Christian doctrine, the Bible, evangelism, the cults, atheism, evolution, Islam, logic, and critical thinking. Each lesson is followed by questions that you answer in a self paced fashion. So, in order to grow in your Christian faith, please visit carm.org. That's C A R M dot O R G. And click on the link for the online schools at the top of the page. And enter the code PIRATE to receive a 10% discount.
0: All right, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith. Sermon review time. I have some new sermon review music. It's true. I'm excited to play it. All right, without any further ado, let's dive into our sermon review. The good, the bad, and the ugly, we review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We are an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via C3 Exchange, an inclusive community. The sermon is actually preached by the heretic Ian Lawton. The name of the sermon is The Evolution of God. You know, I'm wondering if I should use this music for like the super ugly sermons. Yeah, that's ugly, all right. All right. (laughs) Okay, so without any further ado, folks, get ready for, I mean, literally, I don't know how else to describe this except for complete heresy fest. Here we go, Ian Lawton, uh, The Evolution of God, three, C3 Exchange, uh, formerly Christ Community Church up there in Spring Creek, uh, Michigan. Here we go.
5: Well, today we are celebrating Evolution Sunday, and we're doing that because this is the nearest Sunday to Darwin's 201st birthday.
0: Yeah, that's right. You heard that right. Um, now, just if you've attended a liturgical church, then you know that on different Sundays we might recognize or remember particular Christian pastors, teachers, leaders who have, uh, well, gone to be with the Lord. I mean, we might remember Augustine on a particular Sunday. We might remember St. John Chrysostom. We might remember uh, the Apostle Peter or the Apostle Paul or the Apostle. Uh, John um but in any I have yet to find a um, confessional lutheran church that remembers on sunday that great uh, um christian uh um saint uh, No, um who who has set aside darwin sunday uh, evolution sunday well apparently there at c3 exchange Darwin has been sainted, and they remember Darwin the way other churches remember the apostles and the great teachers and leaders in the church. So to
5: honor his birthday and to celebrate the, the wonderful ideas that he introduced to the world, we take this time the, out.
0: The wonderful ideas. Evolution is a wonderful idea. By the way, folks, evolution is far, far far from being a proven theory, it's got so many holes in it. It makes Swiss cheese look like you know, as something firm that you can stand on and and bounce up and down on without hurting yourself. Okay, if you were to visit piratechristianradio.com, in fact, um, I'm pulling up my web browser right now and I'm surfing on over to uh, piratechristianradio.com, home of you know, pirate Christian radio and you were to click on the pirate store. Now, in the pirate store, we have books that we like to feature that we would like for you to consider purchasing. Now, in the we have by the way, this is all powered by amazon.com. All of our all of our fulfillment and orders are done by Amazon now. And if you were to uh, look on the right-hand side of the pirate store, you would see different categories. One of the categories says, are you ready? Contra evolution okay folks darwin's theory is it's it's garbage science i'm sorry it is there is no evidence whatsoever to support evolution and i would recommend if you uh would like to learn more about this we have several books that i would challenge you to read namely uh, if you want um a kind of a an introductory um an introduction into this topic on the uh, on the the problems with evolutionary theory, I recommend the book The Case for a Creator by Lee Strobel. Okay, The Case for a Creator by Lee Strobel. He is not a scientist, but he's a journalist, and he interviews top scientists who completely den- you know, have problems scientifically with evolution. And basically, it brings their arguments to bear on evolutionary theory. This is a theory that is just problematic, at best. Okay. Now, uh, the second after that, I would recommend the book called Darwin's Black Box by Michael Behe. Okay. He's a biochemist, and uh, his his attack against evolution is just scathing. And not only that, he uses Darwin's own Darwin's own claims as to whether you – know, Darwin came up with a way basically saying evolution would be proven wrong if, this, if X, Y, or Z were to happen. Uh, Michael Behe in Darwin's black box takes up da- Darwin's own definition, his own words to disprove evolution and shows from a biochemical point of view that evolution is not feasible, possible at all. No way, Jose, and he does it using the science of biochemistry. Another good one is a book called uh, Darwin on Trial by Philip E. Johnson. Now, those are the three that I would recommend that, where you would start. You can also add into the mix the New Answers book by Ken Ham. could, um, uh, For something that's a, that's a little bit headier but also really good is a book called The Natural Sciences Know Nothing of Evolution by, doc, by the late Dr. A.E. Wilder-Smith. This is brilliant stuff. I actually got to hear uh, Doctor Wilder Smith lecture on this book when I was uh, at uh, Concordia University in Irvine, and it's wow! It's just crazy. It's good stuff, and uh, and so and then of course uh, another good book, Jonathan Wells's Icons of Evolution: Science or Myth and Why, and um, you you need to you need to read up on these things, okay? Evolution is a competing religion. It is not compatible with biblical Christianity, although there are Christians who hold to it. And they, they mistakenly think that this is just science, this is just the way it is. No, it isn't. It isn't just the way it is. Genesis gives us a correct account. God created. Jesus himself affirms that creation. He affirms the historicity of the biblical stories in the book of Genesis, and that God is the one who created evolution creates so many problems it's not even it's not even funny and evolution ultimately leads to the brutality that we see in communism and fascism and uh and their and their the their false prophet liberal protestantism yeah it it basically means, you know, if you believe in evolution, death is a good thing, not a bad thing. Brutality in the survival of the fittest becomes a good thing, not a bad thing. That I mean, evolution opens up such a big can of worms, and it ultimately undermines biblical Christianity. I know that there are some, including uh, C.S. Lewis, who tried to marry the two together. And I th- I just think that is a bad, bad way to go, especially in light of the fact that there are good scientific reasons. Not reasons necessarily biblically, but good scientific reasons by given by scientists to not grant evolution as having been established. It's far, far from established. Now with that, let's um, listen in uh, on Darwin Sunday over there at C3 Exchange.
5: Now to honor Evolution Sunday, as you can imagine, not every church in the world is celebrating evolution sunday but uh, there are a number of churches that have created a counter a counter movement and are celebrating creation sunday that's all right we here will celebrate evolution sunday and it's surprising to many of us that this is still an issue i imagine that many people in this room would be surprised that we even need to speak about the issue of creationism and evolution and progressive Christianity, it seems like it would be a done deal.
0: Uh, It's not, because evolution is far from proven. In fact, when you apply real critical science to it, the whole thing collapses.
5: A resolved issue, but clearly not the case. Still seems to be an issue for people that they want to continue to believe in a literal Genesis creation story that seems to be very important to certain people in certain groups.
0: Uh, It was important to Jesus. He believed and taught in a literal Genesis creation story, and he was God in human flesh. I trust Jesus. I don't trust Darwin. One of my favorite comedians is Ricky Gervais.
5: Others know him and like him. He's a British comedian, and he does a beautiful... And he's an atheist. ...satire of a literal creation story, particularly the creation of light. It goes
0: something like this. Now listen to this blasphemy. Listen to this blasphemy against God in a so-called faith community. God
5: created the heaven and the earth in the dark.
0: (laughs) The Bible doesn't say that. In fact, um, the light source prior to the creation of the sun and the stars and the moon according to scriptures, was the very glory of God himself. So, no, it doesn't say that everything was created in the dark. This is just blasphemy against God.
5: Now, if it had been me, I would have created just a little bit of light, then taken a look and said, right, we need some planets, but not God. God chose to do it by zap. That's everything. Let's take a look. Brilliant. And he chose to create humans out of the soil just because he could. Now I'm very grateful that according to this story, the light was created before human beings were created. Can you imagine the mess? If we'd been created in the dark, we would have all ended up looking like Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head... The different parts of the body all in the wrong places. It could have been a very dangerous thing. I'm grateful that light was created, according to the story, before people were created. And you've got to laugh.
0: You've got to laugh because I'm telling you to laugh. You've got to laugh. Look, listen to the mocking. And this is just absolute mockery of God and what His Word says and teaches in a so-called faith community, an inclusive faith community.
5: Because if you don't laugh, you'll cry. You'll cry at the statistics that I'm about to give you. That in America, something like 45% of people still believe in some form of young earth creationism. Almost half the population...
0: Now notice this is presented as a problem, people who believe the Bible.
5: If you don't laugh, you'll break down weeping at that statistic. The question I want to raise with you this morning is why is there such fear of
0: evolution? Because evolution is a competing religion that completely destroys God and makes it so that our lives are completely meaningless and that death is a good thing and that basically brutality and the survival of the fittest is the means by which we have climbed up from the primordial ooze. What is the big threat?
5: What is it that some people think will be lost if we embrace the scientific theory and fact of evolution? Well, is it possible that some people think that if they embrace evolution that their God will be lost as well? You think some people are afraid that they will be on a slippery slope, a slippery slope towards atheism?
0: Hmm. Now, I just want to point this out. Are they afraid that they're going to be on a slippery slope towards hmm atheism? Well, by the way, this sermon was released on the podcast for C3 Exchange on February 7th, 2010. This was prior to the removal of the cross at their church i think one could make an argument that c3 exchange which was formerly christ community church somehow seemed to be on a slippery slope and what got thrown out as they progressively got worse and worse and worse in their progressive heretical teaching the cross and jesus christ they went so hearing him say, oh, what are you afraid of, really sounds disingenuous now, now that we know what happens on that slippery slope from, P- from so-called churches that embrace these progressive anti-Christian ideas.
5: Lawlessness, maybe anarchy, maybe that's the fear. So this morning I want to put you at ease. This morning I want to raise the possibility that you can believe both in evolution and in God. I want to explore that with you a bit this morning. Let me begin with a story. A group of scientists got together. They said to each other, look, we are very smart people. We have come so far. We have gained such incredible knowledge I don't think we need God anymore. Look at it. We can clone people. We have incredible technology. We can do whatever we want. We don't need God. So they went up to God and they said, God, we don't think we need you anymore. Look at the incredible skills and expertise that we've gained. We don't think we need you. God said, all right, then let's have a little competition. Let's have a man-making competition. And the scientists said, that sounds fine, we can do that. But God said, just one thing. This is going to be a competition run the way I used to do things, like at the time I created Adam and Eve. The scientist said, well, that's fine as well. One of the scientists reached down to pick up some dirt on the ground, and God said, no, 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 no. You go get your own dirt. LAUGHTER That story could be interpreted a couple of different ways. The reason I use the story now is to point to the possibility, just the possibility, as if any of us knows for sure, but just to point to the possibility that God created the raw materials around which evolution flourished. It's just possible. As Carl Sagan once said, if you want to make apple pie from scratch, you have to begin by inventing the universe. It's just possible, just possible.
0: You know, it's also possible that uh, really we you know, God created aliens and those aliens, you know, planted their seeds here on Earth and we were all able to to pop up it's possible that demons you know popped out of the uh, the, the great big hole in the ground and you know, anything's possible the question is what is probable and the reality is is that evolution is not probable evolution suffers the death of a thousand problems scientifically and furthermore god's word and jesus himself proclaims and teaches that we are created not evolved that's the important fact that god created the raw materials soil
5: the dirt and that evolution picked up from there it's possible might not be true who am i what do i know about these things it's just possible and it's good to wonder
0: Now, here's the possibility that some of you will... F- it's good to wonder. We don't go to church to wonder. We go to church to hear from God's Word, to hear it proclaimed, to let it transform our minds, to be transformed by the renewing of our minds and hearing God's Word. God's Word teaches that God created, not that He set the world up and then let evolution take its course. By the way, I'm talking about macro evolution, not micro. Yeah, I understand that there's small deviations in in, in the individual species. I'm not stupid. I understand that. Phil is good news. You can have
5: thorough scientific inquiry. You can have evolution, and you can still have your God. You can take the best that science has to offer, and you can still have a God that is thoroughly reliable
0: no you can't because he can't even tell you the truth of how we got here
5: all-inclusive even personal you can have your cake and you can eat it the best news of, of all uh, no because no. once
0: you leave behind no you can't have your cake and eat it too that's irrational
5: and, the literal, static creation at one point in history, and instead open yourself to the possibility of an unfolding
0: creation. Uh, what? Oh, a literal, static creation. That's just stifling and oppressive. But no, come into the freedom of this, this new idea the, the, of the unfolding creation in evolution. No, thank you. Jesus didn't teach this.
5: God becoming more God in every moment of consciousness. Then life opens...
0: What? Yeah, this is a different
5: God. This is not the biblical God. it 's ...up for you. You suddenly realize that you're part of an incredible, immense symphony. We've heard Lafayette Ensemble this morning. What talent they bring to us. They bring the gift of music. They bring the gift of several musicians coming together... And they teach us something about the whole being greater than the sum of the parts. They teach us something about God. They teach us something about a radical kind of knowing that is beyond
0: the senses. He's exegeting an ensemble, not the Bible. Even beyond your logic.
5: Some of you may have heard the phrase process theology. Have you heard of that? Some of you familiar with pros- I'm sorry process theology. Process theology is that clearer now? The best way I can describe process theology is with a little light-hearted story. Guy owned a store. One day he hears a booming voice say to him, "Sell the store." He ignores the voice for several days, but it keeps coming back. "Sell the store for three million dollars." So he sells his store for 3 million dollars. Then the booming voice says to him, "Go to Las Vegas." So he goes to Las Vegas. And the booming voice says to him, "Go to this blackjack table." He goes up to the table, and the booming voice says, "Put all of your money on this table." So he does that. Plays a game of blackjack. He gets a, a 19 and sees that the dealer has a 6. And the booming voice says, take another card. (laughs) He says, you've got to be kidding. I've got 19. The dealer's got six. Take another card. He takes another card. It's an ace. The booming voice says, take another card. He says, you've got to be kidding. I've got 20. He takes another card. It's another ace. And the booming booming voice says, well, blow me down. That's unbelievable. (laughs) Unbelievable. That, in a nutshell, is process theology. You won't, you won't get that in the textbooks. That is process theology. Is it crystal clear to you now? Process theology says that God is an active agent in the universe, not a coercive power, but a persuasive power. Now, stop and think about the difference between those two words. God is not a coercive power who knows the future and forces you in some way towards that future. Okay, I want to point something out here.
0: One of the categories we deal with here regularly on this program is this idea of where are you going to get your information about God? You either have revelation or you have speculation. He's not giving us revela- revelation. He's giving us pure, unadulterated speculation. He's teaching you nothing about God. He's just basically throwing out philosophical, speculative ideas and that seem logically consistent, but they teach you nothing, nothing about the, the true God that exists. Because this information isn't consistent with in fact contradicts what God has revealed about himself in his word and in the incarnate word that is Jesus Christ God in human flesh this isn't anything worth listening to as far as going to church to hear and learn about God he's teaching you nothing about God
5: but God is a persuasive power God is that which lures you towards that which is the highest good In any given moment, that which is loving, that which takes you further into your humanity. God is the persuasive presence that compels you forward on your evolutionary journey. Now, one of the ways you might think about the distinction between... Oh, man.
0: Yeah. Wow. Okay. So now we've got evolution. God's, you know, pulling you forward in your evolutionary journey. Yeah, if this doesn't prove that evolution is a competing religion, I don't know what does.
5: Coercive and persuasive power is when you think about children. Without giving away too much about my parenting, if you find yourself in a public place and one of your kids is having a tantrum, you may choose coercive power at that moment and remove them from the situation. That's appropriate for an adult-child relationship. But if you have a friend, someone who is an equal, you may want to persuade them to leave an abusive relationship. An adult-adult relationship. When adults have adult-children relationship with each other, what do we end up with? We end up with codependence. It can be a big mess. When adults attempt to have childish relationships with their God we end up with codependent relationships. It doesn't have to be that way. It's possible to have an adult-adult relationship with God. A persuasive power that God has in the universe. This is very empowering when you stop and think about it. Once you believe that the future is open that life is a series of experiences and in each experience, together we are creating the future, then your life becomes very powerful. Your thoughts and your actions become part of the co-creation of the future. By any other name, evolution. All of our actions are related and together our collective actions and thoughts create An unknown future.
0: Wow, this sounds just like the emergence. We're co creators with God. This is just an absolute lie. This is not taught anywhere in the scriptures.
5: How empowering. Think of yourself as a dancer. Actually, while we're imagining things, Why not go all the way? Think of yourself as a Latin diva. Think of yourself as a dancing goddess. Why not? Imagine yourself dancing with life. The ballroom floor is the earth's spinning surface itself. Imagine yourself a Latin diva, dancing with life. And at your best, you can't even tell if you're being led or if you are leading. If you are dancing or being danced. All is one. You are in the flow
0: of life. Deceiving and being deceived. Yeah, that's what this is. Platitudes, he's trying to teach you something about God, but not the real God. If that were the case, he'd be opening the scriptures and teaching and proclaiming what God's word says. Instead, we're often in pure fantasy, la-la, you know, speculation land
5: co-creating the future with every move and step you make how empowering so you see it's possible it's possible to believe in both evolution and in your own understanding of god
0: yeah your own understanding of god not the biblical understanding of god but your own yeah i'm glad you qualified that many people think they
5: don't need god in this equation And I think that's a reasonable perspective as well. I imagine in a community like ours that we have many people who don't need God for that whole equation to work. There's a beautiful story about a guy who is looking for a parking space. He's running late for a meeting. So he prays in this crisis mode, Dear God, please provide me with a parking space. If you come through for me, I'll go to church every Sunday, and I may even give up tequila. So he drives along, and right in front of him is this beautiful parking space. He sees the parking space and then prays again, Never mind God, I've found one myself. <laughs> and that's how a lot of people approach this issue. I don't need God for this to work. I don't need any concept of God for, to truly believe in the mysterious interconnectedness of the universe. I don't need God for that. The universe is mysterious and wondrous in itself. Meaning falls into my lap when I least expect it. I live with humble curiosity. I live a good life and I don't need God. What I want to say to that is I I believe that is a reasonable perspective. I affirm that perspective. I think that is very reasonable. In fact, I think it's quite possible to be a spiritual atheist, to not need any sort of God in that equation. Some of the
0: the most... Oh, really, a spiritual atheist. It's possible to be a flaming snowflake. It's also possible to to be a skinny, fat guy. I'm one of those, by the way. I'm an underweight fat man. Just want to let you all know that. Most moral people
5: I know are atheists. So if you're, in that, if you're in that category of people who is an atheist, I affirm you and I encourage you. I'm neither here to persuade you nor coerce you to change your mind. I don't believe you're heading on the slippery slope towards lawlessness and anarchy. As I said, some of the most moral people I know are atheists. So if you're in that category, rest easy. At the same time, I think it's a very reasonable perspective to believe in your own experience of God without having to give away science. Now you've all had an experience, this different type of knowing the type of knowing where you just get in the flow and life unfolds. You don't need to know the end game because you just get, take each moment as it comes feel your way into it, observe the surroundings, and make one decision at a time. There is no end game because we're creating that as we go. You've all all had meaningful coincidences take place in your life, the type of moments that make you believe in wonder. I heard a great story about the Baptist preacher, Tony Campolo, you won't hear me referencing Tony Campolo very often at this church, some of you who know him, far more evangelical than I've ever been. He's, always, he's also been quite an inspiration for me, and he tells a particular story about when he goes to a college campus to give a talk, and before the talk he's held in a back room by the group of elders who lay their hands on him and pray. As he says, the longer they prayed, the heavier their hands were getting. He said he got very annoyed because they were praying not for him, but for someone else. Someone said, we pray now for a man named Charlie Smith. Charlie Smith, who we believe is about to take a terrible step in his life and leave his family. So they prayed and prayed about Charlie Smith. The night came and went, and Tony Campolo went, got in his car to leave the evening. As he drove away, he saw a man hitchhiking picked up the man, and as the man sat in the car, he said, What's your name? He said, My name's Charlie Smith. Without saying a word, Tony turned his car around and drove the man back to his home, took him inside, sat him down with his family, and they talked together and resolved the situation. He stayed with his family. Eventually, he even became a pastor. And not all of life's situations work out as neatly as that, but you've had times in your life when meaning just falls into your lap and you know what is right. You take that one step that you need to take because you know that in taking that one step that you are doing the right thing in that moment. That's synchronicity. You create your own luck in the world. What's the essence of evolution? You create the future together we create our own luck so it's possible it's possible to believe in meaningful coincidences it's possible to ascribe the name god to those meaningful coincidences
0: yeah but it's not it's not okay to say that jesus christ is the exclusive means to salvation that he died on the cross for our sins as our penal substitute calls us all to repentance and faith in him for the forgiveness of our sins and that there is no other name given under under heaven by which we must be saved than the name of Jesus Christ. Yeah, you can ascribe to God all those little meaningful, little spiritual things that you think are happening in your life, but don't tell me about the exclusivity of Christ and his cross. That has to go.
5: It's a perfectly reasonable perspective. Let me give you a couple of examples of the way you can retain God and believe in evolution. The first one is a well-known phrase, let go and let God. You see, every now and again in life, you surrender the life you had planned. And watch the most incredible life unfold before you. More incredible than any of your plans had ever been. Every now and again, you surrender, you let go and you watch life unfold before you, it may be very valuable for you to put the name God to that experience because it reminds you to stay open. reminds you that the future is open and unknown and dynamic. To put the name God to that experience lures you, persuades you to keep believing in miracles, to keep being willing to be surprised. Keep moving forward. Let go and let God. The second truth that I want to speak about today in relation to evolution is that the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. It's a very profound theological truth. I could speak just about this point for several weeks. I've already said, we saw it illustrated this morning, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. At the same time, each of the parts has the potential, the imprint of the whole. That means that every part, every person, every situation, every part of your life has the potential of wholeness, has divine potential. It's the essence of healing work. Every part of you has the imprint of God all
0: over it. Notice, no sin. You just have the imprint of God all over you, man. It's <clears throat> Here's my question. Um, How is this qualitatively different than the seeker-driven sermons that we review day in and day out here at uh, Pirate Christian Radio? How is it qualitatively different? He's making pretty much similar points. Except for Ian Lawton's at least up front about the fact that he's got to get rid of those exclusive claims about Jesus, you know.
5: And yet at the same time, God is more. God is the collection of all the parts and more, even beyond our wildest imaginations. You see, you are so much more than a machine. You are so much more than the sum of your parts. You are the all-singing, all-dancing Potential of God moving through the world.
0: Oh man, this is just satanic. You are the all you are the potential. You are, yeah, right. I'm a sinner in need of a savior. You got anything for that? Like a Latin diva. The
5: whole is so much greater than the sum of the parts.
0: Wait a second. Did he just say I was a Latin diva? Man, that I am one ugly Latin diva. I gotta tell (laughs) you. Yeah, if if this is what's happened to uh, Latin divaness, ness, then uh, boy, it sure has fallen. <sighs> yeah, I <laughs> I have, I apologize for destroying Latin diva ness folks. I he just said I was a Latin diva and if this is what it's fallen to, well, I I apologize. I've apparently destroyed the standard. I really am a terrible Latin diva and one of the ugliest Latin divas you will ever see and I can't even sing.
5: The third point that I want to make is that you've had moments in your life where you sensed something greater than. Now, Jesus expressed that in the passage you heard this morning from John's Gospel as greater works that you will do. This is my favorite verse in all of the Bible.
0: Wow, he quoted a verse from the Bible. There's a shock.
5: Greater works than these you will do. Every now and again in your life, Everything comes together so neatly, so naturally, that the action you take is just right. And it is just what the world needs to move it that step forward, that step closer to fine.
0: So you'll do the greater things by helping the evolutionary process evolve. Right. I don't think that's what Jesus meant at all in that passage, by the way.
5: That step closer to the greater good. Maybe putting the name God on that keeps you moving keeps you believing that there is something greater than that you aspire to. Yeah, just slap
0: the name God on anything that you think is spiritual or kind of bizarre in your life. Just put the label God on it. You know, He's teaching you how to basically create idols on the fly.
5: a to that you work for, whether it's a cause that makes you active, whether it's a family that you see yourself as part of, whether it's the ever-expanding web of human community... There is something greater than that keeps you moving, that keeps you passionate, that gives your life intention and power. It's very reasonable to call that God. And there's a fourth point that's totally slipped my mind, so let me wander over here. I knew there was a reason why I had these notes here. I would use them eventually. The fourth point is that there's always more. If evolution has taught us nothing else, there's always more. Einstein offered this thought experiment.
0: (laughs) Evolution, if it's taught us anything, it's taught us that there's always something more. Yeah, you women out there, if you believe in evolution, make sure that if you're giving birth, you know, if you've been pregnant for, you know, nine months and are ready to, uh, you know, the time has come uh, for the baby to come out, make sure you put a net around your legs because you don't never know. It might be a bird that pops out.
5: He said, if you stood at the edge of a light beam and held a mirror out in front of you, would you see yourself? And the answer is no. You wouldn't see yourself. Because light can't travel any faster than itself to get out in front and create the reflection for you. You would not see yourself, which is a beautiful analogy for holding a mirror out into the future. There's nothing there because the future is not yet known. There's always more. Life is mystery. Life is sacred. Set out with the absolute significance and belief that you are co-creating your future in this unknown future. This is so empowering and so much more empowering to me than a belief in a literal creation at one time many years ago, maybe not many years ago according to some theories. So much more empowering to believe that you are a co-creator of life. That your words and thoughts and actions help to co-create the future for the whole.
0: N- Notice how what a standard of truth is. This, is. this is really empowering. Is it true? Empowering you to do what? Think of yourself as divine? free you from the bondages of 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 a god who would restrict what you believe to the truth oh that mean old god we got to get rid of him who would basically dare to say that he is the exclusive means of salvation for the entire planet that there are no other gods and that he created us oh it's far more empowering to just jettison all that and basically run around like a godless heathen oh that's empowering all right and it lands you in hell So
5: there are just a few thoughts you could add some to that the point being it's very reasonable to hold a belief in god or to have an experience of god and to use the name god to describe many of these experiences of wonder and mystery in life but then again who am i who am i and what do i
0: know yeah that's a great question who are you and what do you know where did you get this information about god I don't find it anywhere in the Bible. So who are you and where did you come up with this stuff again? Why should I believe it?
5: Maybe that's the ultimate reason to retain a sense of God. It reminds me that I am just a human being with a limited partial perspective. I don't know everything.
4: Yeah, but the,
0: God has revealed much more than your partial perspective in his word. God's capable of communication, you know. I know it sounds hard to believe, but yeah, the all-powerful God who created us, yeah, he's also capable of actually communicating. And if you read his word rather than all this speculative junk that you're spouting off here, you might actually teach somebody something for real about God instead of all of this made-up stuff that you seem to have just made up, but who are you? <laughs>
5: yeah. I know very little indeed.
0: uh, Amen. Yeah, you know very little. In fact, practically nothing about God. Shut up and open his word and let him speak.
5: Maybe having a God that I experience is that which is greater than God you experience. Oh, boy. And yet present in each keeps reminding me. This is pure idolatry. To stay humble. Let me end with a reminder to you of the absolute miracle that is your life. And stop and think about the lottery that is human existence.
0: <laughs> well, if you believe in evolution, yeah, well, yeah, that's that's the right way of talking about it, the lottery that is human existence. I mean, yeah, oh man. yeah, that's right. Uh, the crap table over at uh, in Las Vegas, that's your God. What are the
5: chances that you exist? Just think about it. How did this happen? I don't mean how did you get here.
0: God created me. He said, Let there be, and there was. End of story. Yeah, this is what happens. Evolution makes chance your God rather than the one true God.
5: But why you? And why now? Of all the mysteries of life, your death is a mathematical certainty, but your life, that's another story. What's the chance? That that particular seed was fertilized at that particular moment. And then take that back generation after generation. What's the probability that any of us actually exist? And then add in the various uncertainties of life, disease and accident. And take that back generation to generation. It is an absolute drop-dead miracle that any of us exist. It's outrageous that you exist in this form at this time. So start living like your life is a miracle. Start living like the miracle that you are. Make every moment count for something greater than your life so that in a hundred or two hundred years' time when future generations are contemplating the inexplicable mystery that is their existence, they can stand on the shoulders of your legacy and know that they too are building on something that has been worked on for years and generations and that they too are part of this evolutionary flow of life. Pause today and give thanks for life. Pause today and give thanks for your life. Give thanks for the miracle that is your life. Look around you at the other miracles and give thanks for the whole, which is so much greater than the sum of the parts. I give thanks for you this morning. Namaste.
0: Wow. Talk about empty, talk about darkness, talk about blinded, talk about hopeless. No gospel, no hope, just chance and evolution. And we're building on the shoulders of, of what's gotten with this is God's unfolding creation. What are the chances that you're here? And that's it. No sure word from God. Good luck figuring out who he is. You're not going to figure it out from them. I mean, just slap the name on God on all the weird little freaky spiritual things that happen in your life and eh, and then thank God, you know, what and ponder the the what are the chances that you were here and uh, this is just complete emptiness. This is a vacuum. No content. No God, you just slap the name on God and whatever you want to, and if you want to be a spiritual atheist, that's okay. It's not that there's anything wrong with that you can do you can be a spiritual atheist and yeah, you know whatever just just be spiritual, yeah, when you lose Christ and you lose his word, you lose everything, and we need to pray that Christ would grant these people repentance. And the forgiveness of their sins, particularly the sins of their idolatry, false doctrine, and false religion. For God's word says if they enter eternity in this state, in their rebellion against God and his word, God will remember their sins and they'll be brought to account. That's so tragic and so needless because Christ died even for these sins that you've heard These blasphemies that you've heard uttered, even Christ died for these. (sighs) Wow. need to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio to you as well as to the world. You can partner with us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, there other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Of course, if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. What eight. What'd you think? I'd love to get your feedback. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. Until tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Cling to Him. Amen.